We all are guilty from time to time. How many times, how often do we judge people? We see them, how they look, their appearance, and we judge them based on what they look like. We automatically form an opinion about who they are, what they do or don't do, uh, what kind of person they are. You can't always go by what people look like. You can't judge a book by its cover. We tend to look at people and judge them by the way they look, but God sees people and he values them by what he can make them. And we learn that lesson very clearly in today's passage, today's passage in Luke, a familiar story, uh, the story of Zacchaeus. Uh, Today, we're just going to camp out there for a little while. We'll start a new series next week. But for today, we're going to look at this children's story that we've all heard a million times about a guy who was an outsider. He was an outcast. Granted, a lot of that he brought on himself. But when we find him in today's passage, we see that he is literally up a tree. Uh, He's in a bad situation for a lot of different reasons, but Jesus comes into town and and he wants to catch a glimpse of Jesus. He wants to see him. We find out through the course of the story that there's a reason for that. He's not just trying to see Jesus physically. He's looking for answers. He's looking for anybody that will show him some affection, show him love. And he climbs a tree, so he's literally up a tree. Well, a lot of you today, maybe you're not literally up a tree, but you are up a tree emotionally or physically or the circumstances of life. You've been treed by the circumstances of life or something else. So when we talk about the the title of today's message is treed, and and when we're talking about that, what, what are we really saying? What do I mean by that word treed? Well, let me give you a definition for the word literally uh, to be treed is to force something up a tree. If you're a hunter, uh, you, maybe you go coon hunting, you know what this is. The dogs will force the coon up the tree and then you try to, try to get it. Uh, that's your goal, right? Well, the, there's an informal definition, which is really what we're focusing, what we're using this word for today. And that's to force someone into a difficult position or into a corner. And so my question today is, how many of you fit into that second definition? You're in a difficult spot this morning. Uh, Maybe things aren't going well at work. Maybe things aren't going well in your family, your marriage. Maybe things personally are are not going well. Any number of things, you know, health-wise, any number of things can force us to feel like we're cornered in life to where there's no way out. And As Zacchaeus, I'm sure, felt, as we'll see, to feel like nobody really cares that you're in this spot that you're in. Nobody's attempting to help you or to love on you or to to do something to, to help get you out of that situation. Well, as we've said, as I've said, that is exactly where we find Zacchaeus. And that is exactly where we're going to find people in our world. There are a lot of people in our world that fit into that category, that they are in a tough spot today. 
There are things in their life that are causing them to feel cornered, to feel treed. And it is our job, for those of us who are followers of Christ, it is our job to attempt to reach those people. We can't wait for somebody else to do it. And we've got to get over some of our preconceived notions about some of those folks because they are sinners in need of love, in need of a Savior. And we've got to be willing to reach out to them. We're going to look at this passage this morning. Uh, in Luke chapter 19, from two different perspectives. We're going to look at it uh, from the perspective of those people that were called to reach, that are lost, in need of a Savior, just like Zacchaeus was. And we're going to look at it from the perspective of those of us who are just simply up a tree this morning. We are in a difficult spot, and how the Lord can come to us is willing to, to help us and to get us out of that position that we're in, or at least give us the strength and the comfort we need to endure in that position that we're in. There are some truths that we can take comfort in when we find ourselves up a tree, and we're going to look at those. The first is this. If you are in a difficult spot this morning, one thing that I can tell you is, I can't tell you maybe why you got there or the circumstances, but one thing I can tell you is, is that God knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly where you are this morning. And we see that in our passage. As Zacchaeus was literally up a tree, the Lord knew exactly where he was. Let's look at verses 1 through 4 of Luke chapter 4, or chapter 19 rather. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was rich because he had basically, not basically, he had stolen money from all those people he had collected taxes from. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable to. Why? Because he was short. There was a crowd and he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him for he was about to pass. Jesus was about to pass through that way. You know, Zacchaeus, he's a short guy. He wants to see Jesus. A lot of people around, so he climbs a tree so he can get a good look at him. And what we are going to see is that, you know, Zacchaeus, he probably thought no one cared much about him. No one, the only time people were concerned about where he was was when he showed up at their door asking for money because he was a tax collector. But what we see is that Jesus, all of this is orchestrated. All of this, God is in control of this, and he knows exactly where Zacchaeus is. And what we can take from that is that we're, wherever we are in our lives, whatever we're going through, good and bad, but especially in those times that we're struggling, Jesus knows where we are. There is never a time, if you belong to Christ, there is never a time where you're going to be in a situation that's caught him by surprise. Jesus knows where we are. He knows where we are in terms of our health. I mean, some of you may be having health issues this morning. Some serious. Maybe you have a family member who's facing a serious health problem. Could be life-threatening or definitely you know it's life-threatening. God knows where you are. And while he doesn't cause those things to happen, any, anything that causes sickness and death is a result of the sin that exists in our world. Not, maybe, maybe not sin that you did that brought it on, but it exists because sin is in our world. And with sin comes sickness and death and all of those horrible things. And so, so while Jesus may not have caused it, 
It didn't take him by surprise. He knows where you are. If you're struggling this morning with your health, God knows he is the great physician and he can provide you with healing if he chooses to do that in this life. If not in this life, he can provide you with definite and eternal healing in the next life, in eternity. God knows where you are. Maybe some of you are up a tree in terms of money this morning. Maybe you're here today and you don't know how you're going to pay your house payment next month. Or maybe you don't know how you're going to pay your bills or something's happened unexpected and you don't have enough money to take care of that emergency. God knows where you are and he, he promises not that we won't ever go without being stressed or without uh, being uncertain about how we'll be taken care of, but he promises that he will take care. As long as we're faithful and giving and tithing, God will take care of us. He knows where you are. He knows what you need in terms of your finances. Maybe you're here today and, and you're up a tree in terms of your job. Your job, maybe you've lost a job or maybe that's a possibility. Or maybe things at work are just bad. I mean, how many times have you been in a job situation where your coworkers made life difficult or your boss made life miserable? Maybe some of you are here today because, and you're experiencing stress, you're up a tree because things aren't going well at work. Or maybe at home in your relationship with your spouse, your husband or your wife, things are not going well. Maybe there's stress in your family because of your marriage. Maybe there's stress in your family because of your kids. Maybe one of your kids is not living the way that you've taught them to live, and that's causing stress on your family. Maybe you're up a tree this morning because of your parents. Maybe your parents have fallen ill, and you've become sort of the parent in that relationship where you're having to take care of them now, and you don't know how to navigate those waters that it can be so very difficult. I mean, we could go down the list and eventually I'm probably going to hit on something that you're struggling with this morning or have struggled with in the past or are going to struggle with in the future. But in any of those situations and in all of those situations, we can be assured that God knows exactly where we are. He hasn't lost track of you. He knows where you are and he knows what you need. In fact, he knows what you need better than you know what you need. And I'll be honest with you, there are times in my life where I have been in a tough spot and I didn't have a clue what I needed. I just knew I needed something. But isn't it great to know that you can come to your Savior knowing full well that He knows exactly what I need, what you need. Even if I don't have a clue even how to verbalize it, I can just come to Him and go into His presence and cry out knowing that the Holy Spirit's going to take my cries and take them to the Lord knowing exactly what I need. God knows where you are this morning. Not only does he know exactly where you are in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, he says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, you come to me and I'll give you rest. Does he say that come to me and I'll solve all your problems in an instant? He may do that, but that's not what that verse says. He says, you with all your baggage, all your problems, everything you're struggling with, you come to me, you let me take on that burden and I'll give you some rest. Boy, that's a good rest. And it's a rest you can't find anywhere else. God knows where you are and he knows what you need. He knows where you are physically and he knows where you are emotionally too. You think about Zacchaeus. Now listen, I'm not justifying any of Zacchaeus' actions. He was a thief. And the reason people hated him is because he had stolen a lot of money from them. And, and we wouldn't like a guy like that either. Not, not, his actions aren't justified, and 
And while we shouldn't hate anybody, you can understand why he was not liked. But I believe Zacchaeus was also, while he, he did what he did and he was responsible for what he did, I believe that he was a lonely guy. Nobody likes being hated. You know, some people it doesn't seem to bother as much as others, but nobody likes being hated. Nobody likes being alone. We were built, we were hardwired as individuals to have relationships with other people. And Zacchaeus was a guy that nobody really liked, who was loathed, he was lonely. And so emotionally, Zacchaeus was struggling greatly. And you may be here today and you're struggling emotionally. Maybe you're struggling with loneliness. Maybe you've lost a spouse or maybe you just don't feel like you have any real close friends in your life. Nobody that you can count on. Nobody that you can go to. Maybe you're struggling with depression this morning. And listen, that can be crippling. For people who haven't struggled with that, you have no idea how crippling that can be. And some of you maybe today are struggling with that greatly. Maybe you're lonely and you're struggling with it. You're in an isolated existence and nobody knows you're dealing with that. And it can be a difficult thing. Maybe you're struggling emotionally with confusion. Maybe you're confused. You're up a tree and you don't understand why you're there. And that's understandable. You're confused about where you are in life. Maybe you're confused about where your life is going. How many of us here today have have found ourselves at some point in life knowing God was preparing us for something, but not knowing what that was? We've all been there. It can be confusing. It can be frustrating because, hey, I want to serve you, Lord. I want to be faithful, but you've got to tell me what I need to do. And of course, there's a reason God's making you wait, but it can be confusing. You're confused about where you are in life. You're confused about where your life is going. Uh, Maybe you're in a time of transition and you don't know what's next. That can be difficult, but God knows where you are emotionally. Maybe you're struggling with rejection. Maybe somebody close to you has rejected you. Maybe you've lost somebody that you care about because they've done something to break that relationship. Could be a girlfriend, a boyfriend, could be a friend close that you thought would never leave you, turn their back on you, but they did. Could be a family member who's turned their back. Rejection can be a tough thing. And there are a lot of different ways people can reject you. Maybe you're struggling with that this morning or fear. Maybe the fear of the unknown. Maybe you're struggling with a health issue or a job issue or a finance issue that I just talked about. And there's fear in that, right? Listen, we just bought a house and there's fear in that. Let me tell you, when you sign those papers, we're thankful for it. Got into it yesterday, praise the Lord. But this morning, Mandy had to tell me to stop worrying about things that could be wrong because I'm a worrier. I've told you that before. There's fear. Maybe you're afraid of something a lot bigger than that. You know, the fear of the unknown can be crippling as well. If you, think, if you sit around all day and think about the what ifs, then you're going to have a tough time. But maybe you're struggling with fear this morning. Maybe you're struggling with bitterness. I knew somebody, I grew up with her son. He and I were very close. She had cancer as she got older. And she struggled with, of course, as anybody would. And she struggled with the treatments. And she realized through the course of her treatments, she realized that she had been harboring bitterness toward her mother who had done some, some not-so-great things. And through the course of her treatment, both physically and psychologically, she was told, and believe this, and I believe this, studies prove this, that, that the bitterness she was carrying around 
was keeping her body from effectively fighting that disease. Bitterness can cause you not just mental anguish, it will. You'll be in your own little prison of unforgiveness. You're thinking you're harming that person you're not forgiving, but you're harming yourself. It can cause you mental anguish. It can cause you physical anguish too. Bitterness, anger. You know, we all get angry and there's some things we should be angry at. Sin, righteous indignation towards sin, but anger and bitterness towards somebody else. You think you're hurting them, you're only hurting yourself. God gives us a way, while not easy, God gives us a way to get out of that prison that we put ourselves in and that's forgiveness. Maybe you're struggling emotionally this morning. God knows where you are physically. He knows where you are emotionally, and he will meet your needs. Look at Psalm 25, 16 and 17. David, when he was struggling emotionally, he cried out to God, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. And he knew, as he wrote it later in Psalm 68, verse 6, God makes a home for the lonely. Are you lonely this morning? Feel like you don't have a home? Feel like you don't have anybody that cares about you? God says, I'll make you a home. You are at home with me. God makes a home for the lonely. God knows where you are emotionally and he knows where you are spiritually. Zacchaeus was lost spiritually. I mean, he was as lost as lost could be. You know, we, before coming here, we spent five years in Scottsboro. And there's one thing in Scottsboro that's famous. And that's unclaimed baggage. If you've been to, before we ever moved to Scottsboro, we had been to Scottsboro one time, and that was to go to unclaimed baggage. We went shopping there. And there was an article that came out a few years ago talking about this. It was, it was focusing in on unclaimed baggage and, and what they were all about. And the article stated that previous year, I think the article came out in 2013, 2014, something, somewhere around that. In the previous year, it said that 3 billion people had flown around the world. And of those 3 billion people, 21.8 million bags had been lost by the airlines. And so here's what the airline will do. For 90 days, they will try to contact you. If you lose a bag, they're going to try to contact you to reconnect you with your bag. And if they are unsuccessful in 90 days, and if you don't come looking for your bag in 90 days, then unclaimed baggage gets it. All the major airlines, they get that baggage. And they get the suitcase. All of the contents in that suitcase belong to them. And that's how they get the stuff that they sell. Well, over the years, they found some pretty interesting things. And I, of course, we've been there several times. We still go back. Probably the clothes I'm wearing today came from unclaimed baggage because I, <laughs> I go buy my shirts and my dress pants there because you can find like six of them for $10, not really, but, you know, something like that. Um, but, they, you know, it's an interesting place. It's a fascinating place. And some of the things you can walk around and see, they've got some of this stuff mounted on the wall, some of the interesting things that they found over the years. Here are a few of them. Uh, they found somebody left a car engine unclaimed. I don't know how you forget your car engine. Uh, maybe it just got lost, but the airline couldn't find the owner. They found a pair, a set of moose antlers, a six foot tall paper mache Tinkerbell. I don't know what the <laughs> use for that was, but you know, and I, I've seen at least one of these they've got mounted. Uh, uh, they found a, a set of matching McDonald's golden arches. Uh, that was unclaimed. There was a, this must have been, whoever opened this, this was a, a day for them, a suitcase full of cheese. 
90 days, guys. 90 days. Here's one. One suitcase contained vacuum-packed frogs and armadillos. <laughs> Hopefully that was a, a biology teacher or something. I'm hoping, just hoping. A live rattlesnake. That would have been my last day on the job at Unclaimed Baggage right there, I'm telling you. <laughs> there was a full suit replica of medieval armor that was lost. A shrunken head. A four th- this is interesting. A 4,000-year-old Egyptian burial mask was unclaimed that they got. And some things of value. There was a 5.8-carat diamond, diamond solitaire ring. There was a 40.95-carat natural emerald. And they actually unclaimed they got an Air Force missile guidance system was unclaimed. Now listen, there's one thing that I'm sure of. The owners of those things did not intend for those things to get lost. And at least for a time, they didn't have a clue where they were or they would have gone after them, right? There was something that kept them from knowing where they were. If you are up a tree this morning, or if you're literally lost, I'm going to tell you something. God knows exactly where you are. Now, he allowed you to get there for whatever reason. I don't understand. I can't tell you why. As a pastor, there are often times where I, even to this day, people go through difficult circumstances, and I want to be able to tell them why, and I can't. The reality is, even if I could, it wouldn't make the pain go away. Whether you're up a tree because of any of the things that I've mentioned, or maybe you are actually lost this morning. You don't know Jesus. God, while he allowed you to get where you are, he knows where you are, and he's got a way for you to get reconnected with him through his son, Jesus Christ. You don't have to stay lost. That stuff, they never found the owners. But God says, hey, you're mine, and you don't have to stay where you are. I've done what it takes to get you back to me. You, God knows where you are physically. He knows where you are emotionally. And sometimes God allows you to get treed so that you can get out of the chaos that dominates the crowd around Because from that tree, and sometimes only from that tree, you can clearly see Jesus above the circumstances below. Sometimes God lets us get in that tree because that's what it takes for us to be able to focus on him because we're so consumed with the chaos around us. And if you're witnessing to somebody who's lost, maybe they're up a tree, maybe they're in a difficult situation because that's the only way they would pay attention to the gospel. That's that's what it took to get them in a place to realize they need a Savior. You see, God allows these things for a reason. And while we may not always know the reason, there are things that he can show us in those situations that we are not open to in other times, in other places, emotionally, physically, spiritually. He allows us to get in those difficult spots because that's what it takes sometimes for us to admit our need for help and to look to him and let him come to us and to to give us what we need to take care of us and to provide for us. But before we move forward, I want to point something out because maybe some of you here today aren't up a tree. And And it's our responsibility, if you're not in a difficult spot, and even if you are, it's still our responsibility to reach out to those people that are up a tree, physically, emotionally, or spiritually lost. I want you to pay attention to the mindset of the crowd here. Verse 7. When they saw it, they began to grumble, saying, Jesus, he's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Now, 
Zacchaeus had done some bad things, but who? He's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. When Jesus came to me, he came to be the guest of a man who was a sinner, is a sinner. Is there anybody in that crowd who wasn't a sinner? But how many times do we look at somebody because of what they've done or what they look like and say, you know what? You're in that situation because you deserve it. Or you're not worth the time, the effort. We may not say it out loud, but we form those opinions in our minds, don't we? And, and the reality is, it doesn't matter who you are, how good you look, how much you seem to have it together. We are all just sinners in need of a Savior. We're all broken. The news reports this morning, two major events happened yesterday, right? Two major things, two shootings, El Paso, Dayton, Ohio. In no way would I ever try to justify those actions, but let me tell you, things like that happen because people are broken. People are lost. Sin is in this world, and people, nothing, no, no social program, no laws, no psychological. You know, they, ultimately, the only thing that's going to fix broken people, and we need those things that I just mentioned, but nothing's going to fix broken people except a Savior who made those people. We all need a Savior. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, far be it, Lord help me if I ever get to the point to where I'm so calloused that I judge people by their appearance or something they've done instead of loving them the same way that Jesus did me when I was broken and lost. And nobody should have spent any time on me, but he gave his life for me. The crowd saw Zacchaeus as he appeared to be. They thought, hey, he's got to be just as dirty on the inside as he is on the outside. When Jesus saw him and saw a man who had a heart that was willing to believe in him and trust in him. And a man he could take and make into something special. Not because of where he was, but where God could make him, take him and, and what he could make him. We need to look at people the same way. The Lord knows where you are. Also, the Lord knows who you are. Are you lonely? Do you feel like nobody cares? Nobody knows who you are, cares who you are? Do you feel unknown? Well, God knows who you are. Look at verse 5. They had never met before, but Jesus being God, Jesus came to the place. He looked up into the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, come down. Not, hey, you. Not, why are you up there? Who are you? He looked at him and called him by name. He knew him because he had created him. Hurry and come down for today. I must stay at your house. God's concerned. He's not just generally concerned for people. He's concerned for each and every one of you individually, personally. Jesus is concerned about every human being, and he wants all to come to know him as Lord and Savior. That's his desire. You know, there are some, and listen, we all, different, different denominations, different churches, different individuals, we may interpret scriptures differently, but I know folks that believe that God only wants a select few to come to him, or only has a select few picked out. Listen, I'm not God, I'm not going to play God. God's word tells us that God so loved the world. And God's word says that his desire is that all would come to know him. 
God's concern is for you, and he wants you. If you are here today, I can't tell you why you're in the situation you're in if you're struggling. I can't explain to you all your problems or how to fix all your problems. But one thing I can tell you is that God wants you in his family. He wants you to be a part of his family. He loves you, and he sent his son Jesus to die for you. If you will accept his forgiveness, you have a part to play, not in saving yourself, but in accepting that salvation. You have to accept it. God knows where you are, and he knows who you are. He calls Zacchaeus by name. Dr. Tim Clinton presents four questions that he says that all of us, while not consciously maybe, we ask these questions. These are the questions. The answers to these questions are how we form our core beliefs. Two form what's called the self-dimension. Number one, we all want to know, am I worthy of being loved? Am I worthy of receiving love? Number two, am I competent to get the love that I need? We may not ask those things out loud, but we think about those things. The other two form the other dimension. It involves my relationship to other people. Number one, are others reliable and trustworthy? Can I trust other people? And we want to know that, right? We want to know if we can trust the people that we choose to have friendships, relationships with. And number two, are others accessible and willing to respond to me when I need them to be? Let me tell you, Jesus knew you when he went to the cross before you were ever born. He has always been there for you. He is there for you now. And he will always be there for you. You don't have to worry about if he's going to be available, accessible to you, because all you have to do is cry out his name and he's there. He's always there. And listen, I'm going to go let you in on a little secret. None of us in this room, we are all Zacchaeus. None of us in this room are worthy of being loved by God, but by his grace and his mercy through his son, Jesus Christ, we can find all the love we will ever need in our creator, from our creator. You don't have to need for love. Your value, your self-worth should not be determined by what other people think or even what you think about yourself. Your value, your self-worth should be determined by how much God loves you. And he loves you with a perfect, infinite love. A love that could never be experienced from another individual this side of heaven. You are valuable because God values you. You are loved in a way that you could never imagine by him all he wants you to do is accept that love. We can experience more love than we could ever imagine. God's call is personal and it's urgent. What did he say to Zacchaeus? He's, he didn't say, hey, listen, if you get a minute, come down. I got to talk to you, okay? You know, people all the time, and, and this is the way we should. You know, if you come up to somebody that's pastor, if you've got a few minutes, I want to talk to you later on. Uh, that, that, that's appropriate, but, but Jesus in this moment, he didn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, can you book me later on this week for an appointment? He said, no, hurry immediately. You need to come down. You need to experience what I'm about to offer you. He knew his heart. He saw through all of the outer shell, all of the appearance, and he knew that Zacchaeus at his core was a man who was lonely and hurting and wanted somebody to love him. And he saw that and he said, Zacchaeus heard, hurry, his call was urgent. And we should have the same sense of urgency when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to living for the Lord because of, of the day and time that we live in and because of the fact that we don't know what's, what tomorrow holds. Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another day after day as long as it's still called today so that none of you will be disheartened by the deceitfulness of sin. There's a huge sense of urgency when it comes to Spreading the gospel, living for the Lord. 
Because the truth is we don't know. All we know, all we have that we know we have is today. We don't know that we have tomorrow. We don't know if God's going to come back or if he's going to call us home. So there should be urgency in our service of the Lord. And the same urgency that Jesus had in calling Zacchaeus. It's urgent. But thankfully, our response doesn't have to be a difficult one. The Lord's command is simple. What does he tell Zacchaeus? He doesn't say, okay, Zacchaeus, if you will study all of the depths of Scripture, if you will become a master at every theological concept, then you can be saved. What did he say? No, Zacchaeus, he said, if you'll come down, I'm going to go with you to your house. If you will just turn to me, I'll, I'll come the rest of the way. And that's what he does for us, right? He's already done the heavy lifting. He's given his life. He's died for our sins, the perfect sacrifice. He's been raised from the dead, something none of us could do. And he says, listen, if you'll just turn to me in repentance and ask for forgiveness, I'll come to your home. I'll come to where you are and I'll free you. I'll give you all that you need for life, not only to to survive, but to thrive in life. And I'll give you everything you need for eternity as well. It's simple. We try to make the gospel harder than it is, but the message is clear. And one of the greatest verses that I, I can ever think of whenever I'm sharing the gospel or whenever, you know, I'm talking about salvation, Romans 10, 9, it makes it it's so easy. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Plain and simple. Living for the Lord is difficult, but, but the gospel's simple. I've heard people say time and time again, it's got to be more complicated than that. There's more I have to do. No. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you can be saved. You will be saved. The gospel is simple, but it's urgent. Look at Mark 1.15. The time has come. He said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Turn from your sin. Turn to God. The time is near. There's urgency. And God's call, Jesus' call on Zacchaeus was urgent. Because his life was hanging in the balance. We must say yes. We must turn to God because, number three, the Lord knows what you need. He knows where you are. He knows who you are. And he knows exactly what you need. Where you are. And whoever you are. Zacchaeus did the right thing. He accepted the Lord. And and what we see is what God knew all along inside that awful man was a heart that could be molded was a a heart that was willing to believe and so God took him and gave him a new heart there was value there because there's value in human life there's value in what God sees and what he creates you know in 2011 uh, there was a this shipwreck had been known to be where it was for for a long time a a ship the Mary Celestia was shipwrecked in 1864 they were um, going from Bermuda to South Carolina they attempted to 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 get around a naval blockade that President Lincoln had set and the there's discussion over where, whether it was intentionally sunk or whether it ran aground and sunk trying to get around the blockade but the ship sank and it was there for years and years and years divers would visit this ship uh, time and time again, but there was a, a, a hurricane that disrupted, that moved the ship, and it gave access to more of the ship for divers to explore. And when they did, they found perfume 
And this happens, you know, ships, they'll find bottles of champagne and different things like that that are sealed, but they found this perfume. And it's, it's called Lily Bermuda. That's the name of it now. But this is perfume. What's so special about this is this is the perfume that, that Queen Victoria would have worn during this time. All of the nobles of the day wore this. It was very expensive perfume. What they found, though, is they got a few bottles of this on this ship, and they brought them up, and they found perfume before. And, and one of the, the, the individuals who uh, was involved in this process, a perfumer, once they collected, said, when fragrances have been sitting at the bottom of the ocean and aging for many years, you expect something that is oxidized or damaged. But they opened it up, and here's what she said. My first impression was, wow, it smelled wonderful. She said it smelled like a blend of citrus, rosewood, and various flowers. I like the other description because I can relate to this. Colleen Williams says that it smelled like dry, fruity pebbles and generic fabric softener. (laughs) But seriously, don't you like the smell of fruity pebbles and fabric softener? That'd be pretty good. They said that's what it smelled like. It wasn't really damaged at all. So here's what they did. They took that scent and they recreated it. They made 864 bottles to honor the year the ship was sunk, and each bottle sold for $225 a bottle. Now, yesterday was our anniversary. I did not get Mandy a $225 perfume, bottle of perfume. I did get her a house, though, so that's pretty good. <laughs> but they recreated. Now, here's the thing. You look at that bottle, and you think, and they thought, listen, that was probably good in its day, but it's looking pretty rough now. It looked even worse when they pulled it out. But inside that ugly, dirty bottle was something beautiful. was something that was really nice. The crowd sees Zacchaeus as this awful person. And listen, he was bad. I mean, he, tax collectors in that day, they were charged with collecting a certain amount of taxes. But basically the government, the Roman government would say, listen, you collect, you, all you're responsible for to us is what we tell you. The amount we tell you, you bring that to us. Anything beyond that you can collect. You're brave enough to collect. You can keep for yourself. There were no regulations there. And these guys, whatever price they set, and I've talked about this before, you could be, uh, riding in your wagon down the road and these guys would come up and tax you based on the number of wheels you had on your wagon. I mean, just random amounts, whatever they thought they could get away with. This was not a nice guy, but the crowd looked at them, looked at him and saw him for what he had done. But Jesus knew inside that man was a human being who, just like the rest of us, longed to be loved. And he took that man and saw his value because he valued him, and he made him something wonderful. He saved him, and he set him free. Inside that ugly man was a heart that was willing to believe, which is more than I can say for a lot of folks, to willing to trust in his Savior, willing to turn from his sin, and to make things right with those he had wronged. Zacchaeus' response to the Lord was acceptance and he called him Lord before the crowd, which was risky. Again, tax collector, people didn't like him. But here's a good rule of thumb, and here's the lesson for those of us who know Jesus. Here's a good rule of thumb. When we are sharing the gospel, look for people on the fringes of existence. All right? Uh, look for people that nobody else really cares for, that, that, that wants to spend time with. 
Now, this doesn't have to be the homeless person begging for change. It could be, but it doesn't have to be. This could be the person who just struggles socially at work or at school that nobody really is friends with. Maybe they're awkward socially, and you can understand why it's hard for them to make friends. Maybe they do things that are just weird and strange. But those are the people we need to be reaching. Those are the folks, you know, we need to reach everybody. Listen, salvation is for everybody, but, but when we are attempting to share the gospel, a good place to start is in those areas, those people who nobody else really loves. Because I guarantee you, just like Zacchaeus, no matter what, they, what type of attitude or appearance they give, what type of exterior they have, at their heart of hearts, they want to be loved. And we can love them because we have that same love that Jesus showed us, not because of us. We have perfect love because he lives in and through us. So those people that nobody else cares about, those are the people that we need to be reaching, that we need to be loving on because they need a Savior just like everybody else. It's hard. And listen, it, I'm, not, I'm saying this knowing that this, that's hard. I mean, some of those people, the reason they're unlovable is because they're, just, they're, they're not likable. All right. Some of those folks are, are just as rough as they can be. Again, Zacchaeus, he was a rough guy. It is not easy to love the unlovable. That's why we call them unlovable, but we're still called to do it because that's what Jesus did for us. That's what he did for others. And that's what he's called us. He's commanded, not just called, he's commanded us to do it. But what we will see is what happened with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus accepted the Lord and he responded with a complete about face, complete repentance. Look at verse eight. Zacchaeus stopped and he said, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor and anybody that I've defrauded. If I've defrauded anyone, anything, I will give it back four times as much. And that word if, it's not if I did, it's a first class conditional clause. It's probably better translated since. Since I've defrauded these folks, I'm going to give them back four times what I, what I took from them. And I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. Basically, he said, I have found what I'm looking for. I've been searching all these years in money and possessions. I did not find it. I found it in salvation. So none of that stuff matters anymore. I'm giving it all away because I have salvation in Christ. And in, verse, in, in, in Luke chapter 13, go back a few chapters. In verse 3, Jesus said, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You know, it's interesting. The name Zacchaeus actually literally means righteous one. That was a horrible way to describe him and his former life. But it's almost as if God had a plan for him, right? Because after Jesus took him where he was, he saved him, he set him free. He did become the righteous one, not because of his righteousness, but because of the righteousness that Jesus gave him. He became righteous. For those of us who have experienced the grace of God, we know what it's like to have our lives changed, but there has to be that moment where you recognize your need and then your life after you are saved has to reflect what's happened. There's a change that takes place. Zacchaeus, he didn't just get a new lease on life. He got a brand new life. He got a brand new heart. And his, that, all of that's evident in his actions. His actions show what, what took place. Look again at what he did. Behold, verse 8, behold, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded, since I've defrauded these people, I'm going to give them four back, back four times as much. A.T. Robertson said, restitution is good proof of a changed heart. And as I said, Zacchaeus, he didn't get a, just get a changed heart. He got a brand new heart. 
in Jesus. The Lord called Zacchaeus. And the amazing thing here, Zacchaeus accepts, but here's the amazing thing, and this is true for all of us. Jesus had already accepted Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus accepted Jesus. He loved him, and he was willing to accept him. If he turned to him, is what he did. Verse 5, Jesus came to that place. He looked up, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry. You come down. I'm going to go stay at your house. And then fast forward to verse 9. Jesus said to him, today, this, Jesus knew all this was going to happen. He knew how Zacchaeus was going to respond. He said, today, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. He was brought back into the family of God. A man who was hated as a result of his own doing, who was hated, experienced salvation in Jesus Christ. He experienced a new life that can only come from Christ. This is, this was Jesus' invitation to Zacchaeus, you come and I'll save you. It's his invitation to us. It's his invitation to the whole world. And in verse 10, Jesus clearly and concisely states his mission to the world. Verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, I talked about unclaimed baggage. There's a lot of stuff that people have lost. And the question always comes up, has anybody ever bought something they lost? Well, the answer is yes. It was a husband and his wife, they were getting ready to go skiing, and he wanted to buy his wife a set of ski boots for this trip they were going on. He bought the ski boots, she gave them to her, she opened them up and began looking at them and thought, boy, these look familiar. She had lost her ski boots a few years back or a while back. She opened up the boots, looked on the inside of the tongue, and sure enough, there was her maiden name written on the inside of the ski boot. Those were her boots that her husband had bought for her. What are the odds? But you think about it, they paid for those boots twice. They were really hers. Paid for them twice. Let me tell you something. More than a cost of a pair of ski boots, God paid for you. He made you, and then he paid for you with his son's life. He bought you back out of sin. It's his mission to seek and to save those people on the fringes of society. Not the people who think they've got it all together, but the people who know they're lost. His mission is to seek and to save the lost. And his call is simple. You come to me, you turn to me, and I will come to you. I'm going to come to your house. I'm going to save you. I'm going to set you free. And I'm going to make you a part of my family. You know, and two, really... I guess it was several years before that, but the journey really began in May of 2016 when we traveled to China to pick up Eli. He is our youngest child. We adopted him in May of 2016. You know, we spent about a year, year and a half with the adoption agency preparing us for for what we were about to get into. And let me tell you, even with all the preparation, we had no clue what we were getting into. Having him now as a part of our family, you know, the scripture talks about adoption. And it talks about how we are adopted into the family of God. And here's the meaning of that. And I always knew this, but I understand it in a whole new way, because let me explain something to you. Did, is Eli our biological son? No, he's not. And all you have to do is look at our family and see that, right? He's not. But let me tell you something. It ain't much, but whatever I have belongs to him. He has full rights to everything that I have. He's my son. Is adoption difficult? Yeah, it's difficult. 
Do we struggle with things like attachment and emotional things? Yeah, we struggle with that. But he's my son. And I love him the same way I love Gracie, Timmy, and Annie. And anything he needs, anything that I, that I have, it belongs to him. Now think about that. This process has given me a whole new appreciation for what God has done for us. We don't deserve anything. Matter of fact, we were separated from God's family by our own doing. Just like Zacchaeus, we put ourselves in that spot. We chose to sin. And God says, not only am I going to come to you, not only am I going to save you, but now you are an heir to everything that I have. I mean, even if he had just saved our lives, that would be enough. But he says, no, every, all of the riches, all of the glories of heaven, they're yours now. We are full members with full rights to his family and all that he has. When we think about what we have received as children of God, how could we ever look at somebody else who's lost and think they're not worthy? They're not worth our time. They're not worth our effort. God took a man who was hated by society and made him his child, part of his family, set him free. And at the end of this story, here's what we see. The lonely one was found by the loving one. The searching one was found by the seeking one. The sinful one was found by the saving one. And the righteous one, who wasn't really so righteous, was found by the righteous one. Are you lost this morning? Are you up a tree? You don't know how to get down? The Savior's calling says, come down. You come down and I'll, I'll come to you. I'll go to your house and I'll take care of everything that you need. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for all the things that we don't deserve. We don't deserve even just a second of your time, but you give us not only that, your time, you give us your love and you gave us your son Jesus. Lord, for reasons I'll never understand, Jesus, you left the glory of heaven to suffer an existence on earth, to be brutally beaten, to suffer a horrific death, and worst of all, to suffer the wrath of your Father whom you had perfect fellowship with. You died you were buried, you were raised from the dead so that we could be saved, so that I could be rescued from my sin. And there's nothing I could ever do or say to repay you for that, but I can give you my life. And I pray that our response this morning to your graciousness would first, if there's somebody here today, that their response would be, if they don't know you as Lord and Savior, that their response would be to accept that gift that you paid such an incredible price for, the gift of salvation. You're calling to them and you're asking them to receive, but Lord, we have to trust in you. Just like Zacchaeus had to come down out of that tree, we have to look to you and accept the forgiveness that you're offering, to recognize our need for salvation. For those of us who know you, I pray that we would, we would think about and remember what we've received in you, the grace and the mercy and we would be motivated with a sense of urgency to reach those people who others deem unlovable. That we would bring them 
introduce them to you so that they could be brought into your family just as we were. Lord, if there are other decisions here that need to be made in this time of commitment, let us just hear your voice and respond to what you're asking us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand for our time of commitment?